All right, welcome back to episode number 99 of Backlash Podcast. Quite honestly, Brad, I'm amazed that it's happened. I know we're all looking forward to next week, next week's episode 100, but let's not overlook this week talking to a young, energetic guide from, well, we'll say he's from Illinois, but he's really from Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. I mean, he's really all over the place, and he's put a lot of big fish in the boat, and he's also... I've done a lot of things outside the box, kind of zigs when everybody else zags and throwing big, big baits when people are throwing, you know, little, uh, I don't know, we'll call them, uh, I don't know, who knows, spring dogs or whatever. He, people are throwing spring dogs, he's throwing pounders, however you want to say it. Anyways, Austin Wiggerman is our guest today and we'll get to him in a minute. But for a second, let's talk about Team Rhino Outdoors. I'm Jeff. That's my company. You want to check out what we're up to, go to www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. We are a retailer in the musky world, and we carry I don't know, pretty much everything you need to make 2021 successful. If you're looking for you know custom colors, standard colors, the latest and greatest baits, the, uh, the old standbys with the Suix and the Bobby baits and the Smitty baits, the stuff that's been around forever, we have it. And we have it all in, in tons of it in exclusive colors to us. And so you can check us out at teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TRO Fishing. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And I will let Brad talk about Musky Mayhem Tackle. Well, after all of that, Jeff, I mean, I feel pretty insignificant, so... I don't even know where to go. I did but, just ramble uh, for two minutes, so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did good, man. Well, I'm Brad Hoppy from Musky Man Tackle, and we are the original uh, creators of the Flashaboo Bucktail, if you will. And uh, very proud of that. We're extremely happy with uh, with all of our customers that support us, and, and we really want you to know we truly appreciate that. You can check us out on Facebook, our website, instagram as well as youtube and uh, just recently we just put out the very first pro staff profiles where we're highlighting some of our pro staff this year and i hope to do it again this coming year i'm scheduling some of those dates it's kind of a unique project a little bit different filming scenario but uh go check it out on our youtube channel must man tackles youtube channel so other than that i don't know let's uh let's get into this whole thing absolutely let's do it all right, our guest today is Austin Wiggerman. Austin has been uh, kind of all over the place, I and mean, we're going to find out in this episode. I mean, he's been to Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, typically fishing kind of all over the place. Austin, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule and talking muskies with us today. You know, I uh, could not be more excited for you guys to have me on, honestly. This is uh, this is a, a pretty big monster you guys have put together here of, of information and absolutely quality guests from the entire muskie panel of quality people, you know, and, uh, to be able to get on here and chop it up with you guys, talk some musky fishing. I'm pretty excited. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate the compliment. Uh, you know, Brad and I, when we first started, we had no idea we'd even get to this point. And now we're, this is episode number 99. So we're knocking on the door to number 100. And I, I hope everybody loves this episode as well. And I, I hope they tune in again next week. Because if they if they don't tune in, Austin, I'm blaming you for them not. You just wrecked our podcast in our hundredth episode. You know, I was just hoping the hundredth episode wasn't going to be having mine be skipped up and everybody uh, just looking for number one hundred to listen to. So I'm uh, I'm praying that 
it's the uh, other way around for for me personally. Uh, I think that you know, based on our pre our pre conversation here, this is going to be a good episode. You're going to bring a lot to the table as far as um, you know, musky knowledge. I don't think that uh, there's honestly a ton of guys out there that have probably put more fish in the boat in the last couple of years than you have. I know I've followed you on Facebook for a while, and uh, some of the quality fish that you catch are unreal. Starting in the early season, moving into the late season, I mean, all over you name it, you've been putting good fish in the net. And, uh, but you know, before we start, you know, diving into some information to help our listeners put more fish in the net, why don't we talk a little bit about your background? I know that, uh, you've recently got your captain's license and there's probably going to be a little bit of guiding here in the future, or maybe a lot of guiding in the future, but why don't we, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, kind of your travels, your background story. Let's let everybody know who we're dealing with here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of guys out there that have no idea who I am, but those that do probably have seen, like you just mentioned, the uh, Facebook posts, Instagram posts that are uh, really just my outlet or my um, my way to go about sharing all of my stories. You know, I think everybody's got a, a cool story, whether it be a single fish or the way they came up and, and getting interested in the sport. Social media nowadays is, is definitely made things tough to share bites and fish you've caught but it also is given a, a pretty good platform and awesome way to connect with a ton of people that share the same you know passion for the sport as me or you know all of us i guess you guys both are uh, equally included in that but you know i just i got started like basically everybody else uh, i've been pretty fortunate to have a family that basically spent a ton of time traveling i mean when i was younger after school weekends it was get home Friday afternoon, get packed into the RV, go up to the Dells, go upper uh, Upper Peninsula, over to Door County, Indiana Dunes, you know, all summer, head out west, head out to Montana. It was uh, it just crazy fortunate upbringing. And uh, through it, I just, I've, I've been looking back and similar to the one piece that always was there was, Hey Dad, you make sure to pack the fishing rods and the fishing box, and no matter where we went, that was uh, that was the one place you could find me. Was if there's a pond or a lake or anything I could cast something into, real easy easy place to keep track of me. So my mom was pretty happy that way. But just grew up loving the outdoors, sharing a huge passion for spending time learning to fish and just making memories, really. And uh, muskies just came to be that. You know, running around to the golf course ponds where I grew up, chasing uh, four and five pound bass with my buddies, just didn't didn't cut it anymore. So when uh, when we were old enough, and our my good buddy Corbin Panino, his his family's crazy into into the outdoors and uh, and fishing, and his dad finally uh, finally let us take the family twenty one foot Pro V Lund out to the to our local lake here. Five minutes down the road, and first big fish I ever put in the boat was in 2013, June 5th. Remember it like it was yesterday. 41 incher, eight inch Hellhound Hel- bluegill. Pattern probably bought, bought it from Team Rhino, and uh, you know it's it's just funny. Everybody can recall their first sizable muskie, and it's uh, from that point forward, it was just an obsession of well, I want to do that again, and I want to see what it feels like to do that again with a bigger fish and how often can I do it? And, uh, from that point forward, it's 
quite literally changed my entire life. Uh, it's all I do. And, uh, honestly wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. It's kind of funny. He says that he says, Brad, you know, guys, um, catch a smaller one and then they, or they all remember their first one and then they try to catch a bigger one. It works out for some people. Unlike me, like I, I caught a 30 incher, probably maybe a 27 on a slippery Sam it was my very first muskie I ever caught. I don't, the day in the, in the year, I can't remember. I'm guessing it was, I don't know, somewhere around 2000, maybe, maybe 99. I don't know. I can't even remember. But anyways, I haven't really graduated from that standpoint. I've still been catching 30 inches the whole entire time. Well, I'll admit, I, uh, I think I got a few little ones before that. Actually, I definitely got a few little ones before that. But that was my, my first real one. You know, a bunch of fish under 30 inches is like new yearly stocks or, uh, you know, just real, real little ones that just gave you the same feeling as a pike, just cool pattern. Got to show a couple new people some pictures of, hey, here's a muskie instead of a pike. But um, that was my first first sizable fish that, you know, towed me around the boat a little bit and got me, uh, got some knees shaking lot more than the 30 inch pike had been so that that's been a an addiction ever since you know the one thing i i gotta notice and the the uh common theme here a lot of times with our guests is uh a dad or a grandpa getting them into into fishing and so i guess i one thing i can say is if you're out there on the water and you got some younger angler whether it be a son a nephew a cousin a friend or whatever you know, drag them along sometime and get them out there in the outdoors. Cause it, it seems like everybody started from somebody, somebody showed them like very few people just decided that they were going to pick this up on their own. It was always, you know, a shared passion, I guess I would say. So just my little public service announcement. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think Brad mentioned in, in past podcasts, is, you know, his, his dad, if, if I'm saying this correctly, wasn't, wasn't the best musky fisherman in the entire world, but he, he got you out there and, and, you know, you grew this passion for, you know, th- through him just being able to put you in the outdoors and give you the opportunity. And, and I can tell you, my dad's right there in the same, in the same boat. He, there's no way, uh, he's in the top 10 musky fishermen to ever walk the planet. But boy, boy, he gave me the opportunity to get in the outdoors and, and, and learn that, Hey, there's a lot of cool stuff you can learn about life and places that, these fish will bring you and people you meet that I don't know through without the sport and being given that opportunity either through somebody showing you the that fishing is cool. You don't have to play video games after school in the middle school. You can go fishing with your buddies. You know, there's there's just so many outlets to get you into the sport nowadays. But introduce anybody you can. You never know what's going to come from it. Yeah, without a doubt. Like that's the same way it is with my dad. My dad was he. My dad never even caught a muskie until I got into muskie fishing. Like, you know, it just happened to be my dad got me into fishing. We were fishing. It was mostly like the the banks up in the Upper Peninsula. My grandma had a cottage up there, and we'd go up one week a year, and so we'd pop around all these little lakes. And so my dad got me into the fishing part of it. But my dad had never done any muskie fishing ever, so I had to pretty much learn that on my own. But coincidentally, I was actually able to you know, take my dad out and get him his first muskie. So that was, you know, it's, it's almost like cool to, I guess, you know, get a little, get a little, uh, I don't say how to like repay him for the, you know, the favor of getting me involved in the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So, you know, one of the unique things for me is, you know, my, my dad spent tons of time taking me fishing, hunting, the whole deal. I mean, the whole outdoor experience, Austin, and I, it sounds very similar to your past. And the neat thing about the traveling, and I think, 
your angling has kind of followed that same trend of doing some traveling as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, like I said, I've been crazy fortunate to be able to fish and, and travel the, the amount I have every year since I've basically started the sport. But living in Illinois and growing up in Illinois, having the year-round open season, you know, for these fish, anytime there was open water, it was we were fishing. So I get a, a whole extra handful of months every year being able to fish for muskies that you guys are cooped up ice fishing or, you know, waiting for the lakes to thaw and the seasons to open. And I got, you know, 15, 20 fish in the boat already or from shore or whatever it is. And now I'm, I'm well, well oiled and greased and the rust has been knocked off by the time I hop up by you guys. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty exciting part to it, honestly. And I think, uh, I think more people after this episode might, might want to come down and make a trip from Minnesota, come down and make a trip from Wisconsin, knock the rust off. And there, there's fish to be caught down here, but Hey, it's, uh, not going to be your 54 inches but starting the season down here and working your way back up absolutely an awesome way to to extend your season and uh like you mentioned i do it every year starting illinois push my way into wisconsin once minnesota's opens i'm there as, as many many times as i can make it and as long long as they'll uh they'll keep me there without losing my job and, and then back down uh once the once the pups start cooling in the fall, pretty pretty nice to be able to jump around and kind of skip the uh, the turnover phase in a lot of areas by either jumping further south or going back north. So I've I've been crazy mobile and it's it's been fun. Definitely a lot of traveling. Definitely have uh, followed that that same uh, outline from growing up and learning it from my parents. So. I think a key component to traveling and hitting different bodies of water too is it just provides a ton more knowledge of different things that, that you can take from lake to lake or, you know, state to state even. So definitely something that we'd like to dig into, you know, and, and the bottom line of this whole thing is it's supposed to be fun and it definitely, we can tell that you're having fun doing it. Oh, that, you know, if, if there was one thing that I, I could preach more about it would be the fact that that's why we do this i mean it, it, we we mentioned earlier before the we started recording you know that the industry's got a little turmoil in it and, and it's a strange thing because catching a muskie these days it's, it's not just it's not like what it was 15 years ago you know you put a 35 inch fish in the boat at the end of a hard fought day you enjoy the hell out of it and you know that 35 one day might be a 54 the next you know, you shouldn't shouldn't spread any negativity revolving around that guy's fifty four because you know the three days before there was a thirty five that he didn't end up sharing with everybody, but he shared his success and hey, good on him, you know. So it's, a, it's definitely a interesting interesting little uh, relationship the musky industry has, but we're all out here to just have fun, you know. Absolutely. So I know one of the things that uh, that you really wanted to talk about is a contradiction. Why don't you kind of go into that whole realm of things? You know, basically, there's no way to no one way to catch a fish on any given day, and I I know that that's uh, a topic that you probably can really uh, push forward with us. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This whole thing came to light in 
in the first year we actually ever started fishing. And and if I ever refer to we when I'm uh, saying stories, it's because basically when I started fishing muskies, me and myself and, and three others, we created like a little uh, little group. And it was more or less that there's not a ton of people in Illinois, especially in high school or, you know, before the age of 20 that are really spending as much time as we did fishing. I mean, it's just, it's just not as popular that it, as it is, uh, you know, that you'll find in Wisconsin or Minnesota and, and especially muskies. So, uh, we really got deep and, and spent a lot of time in 2015 for the first full season chasing muskies. And, uh, my good buddy Corbin Panino came up with the, the name. And ever since I've, I've basically just been able to lengthen the laundry list and library of, of situations that continuously, you know, falls under the contradiction. It's just, I mean, you, you hear about it, guys talk about the PMTT or any tournament for that matter. And on one given body of water on the same exact day, you can have people all over the lake catching muskies from open water, inside weed edges, deep, you know, wood. It's when you're on your fish and, and they're going, catch them. But there's no one way to do it. I think that's been a pretty important concept throughout my entire growth and, and way that I go about fishing. Is just you see somebody doing something, or in my case of fishing in a lot of waters that's crazy pressured, you see a lot of people doing something. Oh, go look around. Just look around the lake. Where are there not people fishing? Go fish there. Doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the lake or not. You uh, you quickly learn that with so many muskies and in, in uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give my home water to the Fox Chain Lakes in Illinois up uh, up in Antioch. There's just so many muskies that you get you get a pretty quick understanding if you're in the right place. I mean, a thirty a thirty three inch will give you give you a pretty good sign if you're on top of fish. But if you're not, go try something else. Get way on the other side of the whole spectrum than what you're doing, and see if uh, see if you can dial that pattern in a lot faster than just grinding it out. You know, you know one of the the interesting concepts of that whole topic, and I think you touched on it briefly, is you might have a network of people that you're fishing with, and you maybe say there's three of you on a body of water, and you're struggling. You know, and and all three of you are struggling because you're you're doing what you thought was going to be the answer, but it doesn't always happen that way. And then you pull off the water and you're up at the access and you see two other boats that, man, they just banged them up, man. They, they got it done that day. And you're just going, man, what happened? But in a tournament scenario, it's really becomes obvious as well. You, you've got different guys that you're networking with and, and they're all struggling. And guess what? Somebody somewhere is catching fish on that day that you're struggling. So how do you deal with that, Austin? That's a great question. And, and honestly, I haven't fished that many tournaments. So having that, that immediate result of, Hey, we just pounded, you know, three really quality fish during, during, uh, tournament hours and you, and you're sitting there going, well, we didn't do a thing. I, I haven't, I haven't got to experience that much stuff, but there's been, there's been plenty of days on the water where I know another guy out there or, uh, or there's a handful of boats even on the same lake or same area that you're fishing, whether it be like a Northern Wisconsin and you guys are all trying to find the deep clear post spawn bite or something. 
growing up and getting into the sport from Illinois, I've literally connected with everybody from social media. So if you have anybody that you know is fishing, try to share information. I mean, we, you guys mentioned it earlier or I'm, it's been mentioned a variety of times in previous podcasts, but more information you can, you can provide yourself with along with hey, sharing it with somebody else that might be able to key you in on exactly what's going on for the day. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just try to try to dial it in every day because it's just, it's quite amazing how much can be changed, whether it's, uh, you know, a, even just a color, which I don't rate color is, is an important factor, but you, you talk about the, the guide, uh, guide network on Vermilion during uh, July. And those guys are going, Hey, black and silver, uh, single showgirl on the uh, rocks, you know, that's what's getting eaten today. And then that, that quality network that's sharing the information for the day. I mean, that now, now everybody that's guiding, putting their clients on fish that, Hey, maybe they only had a handful of follows, but they weren't throwing that colored date. Just, uh, the, the ability to share information and piggyback off what, I, what anybody else is doing while on the water is, is huge and, and never, never feel stuck to, a to a certain pattern. One of the, the super big things that is, of course, uh, an underlying bullet point of, of this whole contradiction concept that we've, we've mentioned is just finding ways to go against the grain. I mean, Brad, I know you've mentioned this many, many a times throughout some of the previous podcasts, and it's like opener in Minnesota, everybody's got small baits on, and, and you're, you're going to a supermodel. And I, I couldn't be more aligned with that mentality of if everybody's doing one thing, I'm going to make sure that I have all of my confidence and time in doing the exact opposite. And, uh, really fishing so many different bodies of water and so many on just different areas throughout each year, you really get to see that there's certain stigmas and, and, uh, boxes that get built around these fish, whether it be Illinois, Wisconsin, or Minnesota. And, I mean, Illinois, I don't know if you guys hear too many throw, people throwing pounders in spring, but I don't. But I know that we've caught them on pounders and husky deuces. And, and personally, the last two springs, I haven't caught a single fish on a bait under 10 inches before they even spawn. And, uh, I mean, I don't do that in Wisconsin even. I'm, I'm more confident in Illinois with a big bait. But I think that's just the simple fact of, hey, I want to present these fish something completely different and in Illinois my confidence is just I'm going to upsize like crazy because people just aren't throwing them I mean you can have a a regular mag dog that gets thrown a million times during uh, you know the entire season in Wisconsin but if you grab a pounder they don't see it as often might do something a little different dive harder get deeper going against the grain doing something a little different is uh, it's just been an awesome, awesome way for me to continue to get confidence in things that aren't usually done and usually talked about. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't agree more. I, it's so funny to me. I, I look at it in, in the spring, you know, just a quick, easy, big meal versus five little meals. And so 
that's where I decide, Hey, I'm going to upsize. And I think, uh, by doing that, you're exactly right. We are cutting against the grain, but that's, uh, that's something that I've put together over a period of years and, and it's benefited me. So I'm going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? And I think that it, it's like we've talked a hundred times on this podcast about, you know, it's pieces of the puzzle and musky fishing is the puzzle. So let's dial it in and let's figure out what those pieces should be. And it's just a, um, a major component to success in my opinion. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, in, in the notes that we put together for, you know, talking about this topic specifically, there's just a handful of different things that whether it be your bait size, or whatever about your bait, but there's also a ton of other things you can do different that simply gives you that upper hand. And here's just a few of them. I mean, I've got listed out here. I mean, how many times do people you see pull up on a spot the exact same way, fish it from the deep side, casting shallow, and if they don't have action, they're done. There's just so many strange things within the sport, that alone, that if people were to take that spot, Fish it from inside out, take a bait, fish it parallel, cast it straight in front of the boat, straight behind the boat. Fish it at a different time of day. That was another bullet point in here. I mean, how often do you fish that spot only at sunset? How often do you fish that spot only during the spring? How often do you, you bring your, your bucktail in only fast during the summer? You know? I mean, th- there's just so many different ways to to make your, your fishing style or, or bait stand out. And with the number of fishermen on the water these days, especially with the with things like the border being closed to Canada, I mean, these fish are seeing baits day in and day out. You gotta, you gotta do something different. And I mean, there's just, there's too many stories to make fit in an, in an hour podcast, but you pull up to a spot and you know there's fish there. I don't know. Let the wind slide you down the edge and cast parallel, give it a, give it a go. I mean, clearly you catch a handful of fish from the deep side casting shallow, but why not this time around find the confidence and doing something a little different guarantee you'll put more fish in the boat. It's just, it's just a simple guarantee. And, and that's just strictly by changing a casting angle. You don't have to do anything different, but you continue to add and, and put together the other little things of, Hey, maybe I do, change my bait size, show them something a little bit different. Maybe I do add a weighted leader to my bucktail, get it a little deeper. Maybe I do try going super slow or super fast during strange times. I don't usually try those. It's just, it's amazing that when you get, get outside of that box of where we place muskies and what they're supposed to do. I mean, this fall prime crazy example, it was 45 degree water. I'm in Illinois, bright blue skies. 30 mile an hour winds. Hadn't seen the thing all morning. It looks like it was going to be prime, absolutely prime. I look at my buddy in the back of the boat and I go, maybe they want to burn supermodel. And I grabbed the supermodel, put it on, threw it out. And I'm, I mean, it, it was one of those joking casts, like not even realistic at all. Reeling as fast as I possibly could at about a 45 inch I'm in hotter than anything we'd seen the last five days fishing the same way. And we'd seen them all on rubber baits the days before. Today, burning a supermodel as fast as I possibly could. And it was, it was quite literally the exact idea of what we're, what we're talking about here. The contradiction. I mean, it, it, for mid-40 degree water temps, 
hadn't seen a fish doing what you're supposed to do, wood, rubber, you know, the classic pattern, I just burned the supermodel in as fast as my high gear trains will let me. And that's how I see a fish. It, it just, it's, it's those things that aren't supposed to happen that when you find the confidence in getting outside of the box, you, you open up a whole new section to the sport that gets really, really fun. So Austin, you talk about, you know, doing things differently, different sizes. I think we can all agree your typical approach, you know, if you go by the books early season would be shallow weeds, smaller baits, you know, that, that kind of thing you're looking for spawning bays or what have you. So let's talk about, we can talk about Illinois or Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin or Northern Wisconsin. Cause typically the water temperatures are probably going to be similar. Maybe Illinois is going to be a little bit different, but like your approach, let's say we'll use, uh, we'll go middle of the road, Southern Wisconsin ish, you know, the water temperatures are uh, 50, 55, whatever. What are you thinking that you your approach would be to start the season? Are you going to start at all on that shallow small bait profile and then switch or are you literally going to go and try something different right from the right out of the box this is a really cool one actually because and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna have to pull it back down in northern illinois simply because of the the experience and stories i'll be able to relate it to but fi- the difference between 50 and 55 is quite dramatic in my fishing data and i'm not sure if any any uh either of you two have any idea but i have an entire excel spreadsheet of every fish that's ever been caught while i'm in the boat or in my you know my my few buddy um network and it's got every detail the time the barometric pressure change or whatever it is i've got every detail so the difference between that that upper 40 49 50 degree mark and that 55 is is huge and uh actually last year was a prime example of this because the, the water temps were stuck at like 48 degrees for basically an entire month in Illinois. I mean, you remember how windy it was in Minnesota to start the season. It was the same thing in Illinois for the month prior, you know, and, and these fish basically set up in, in a few of their pre-spawn spots, whether it be a little bit of a sharper breaking edge uh, leading into a spawning bay or on the warmer days, you know, they're, they're up shallow chasing the, Chasing the warm water pockets, being blown around the shallow flats and the weeds and stuff. But every day, the water temps rarely change more than a degree or two. And in my experience, once those water temps reach into the mid-50s, it's tough to find the active fish deeper for me personally. Because I find myself 90% of the time in any pre-spawn period fishing the deeper edges, leading into spawning bays and more or less that's me trying to specifically target bigger fish. I think that times have changed from what they used to be 15 years ago, chasing big fish and being able to pattern them in Minnesota. Like, uh, I know Luke, I think has uh, mentioned that on a podcast he did with you guys, uh, not too long ago that, you know, he used to be able to write a book on, on chasing 50 inch fish around minnesota and, and today that's just not that's just not how it is i mean you, you get on patterns that that produce fish and you're on the water that that have those size quality fish and those just come come with catching the fish you know it's not you, you can't just target that but i think in illinois from my experience 
you still have the opportunity to target mostly the larger fish. So to answer your question now, I had to had to give you a little bit of a, a prelude to my answer. But last year, like I said, water temps were stuck at 48 degrees. I was stuck on outside edges. I, again, have not personally caught a single fish in the pre-spawn period on a bait under 10 inches. And I think it's simply that same concept of Brad picking up a supermodel post-spawn as it is for these female fish pre-spawn. I mean, there's, there's not the zillion already spawned up, you know, young in the year perch and shad running around. You got less fish, less bait, less options for eating in, in all reality. I mean, it's, it's that simple being around. So you see a, a 10 inch shad that looks like it's dying. I mean, these fish are taking advantage of it without even thinking. And, uh, I've had to find 14 inch baits in the depths of fish's mouth more during the pre-spawn period of the year, you know, but it, I definitely take notice of how fish eat baits and how convinced they were that that was real food. And the pre-spawn period is a great time to get yourself basically right in the same mindset of where you were in late fall. Grab your big baits, find bait and fish on the electronics on the deep edges outside spawning bays. But once those water temps kick into the low to mid fifties, my my boat's not not deeper than ten feet of water the majority of the time. And I've had I've had all of my six fish plus days during that mid 50 upper 50 degree water temps and the unfortunate part is you you immediately lose your chances of having a lot more large fish as your uh as your action i mean it it's it's quite impressive the the numbers of fish that we've we've had actually over the last few springs that only a handful of them and a, a small handful have been under 40 inches which is a rarity when uh, most people think of coming down and fishing Illinois muskies, but I, I think that is the reason I genuinely, genuinely believe that you can you can still target big fish during that pre-spawn period down here, but once once they hit the spawn, it's really tough to to get the big ones to eat until they're all done with their their uh, you know their outing, they're done and, and finished their spawn. And then you can get them to go again, but really, it's a uh, it's a t- it's a tough go once those water temps get to the mid fifties, and then then you're on your shallow flat grind, finding the warmest water, throwing a lot of gliders, jerk baits, those classic, you know, six inch phantom soft tails that most people associate with springs. That's when that's when I find myself using the classic musky book, um, following the rule style bait. Is uh, once once those water temps get up mid fifty upper six, fifty degree water temps, kind of uh, the beginning of the spawn, and you're really just looking for reaction bites. But before that, it's quite impressive how heavily the big female fish, especially, actually put on the feed bag, and it's uh, it's a certainly become one of my favorite parts of the year. And uh, I know a lot of people associate the feed bag with fall, but you ever want to experience the spring one it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive especially for a state an area that's not known for big fish 
So Austin, you know, you're really talking about getting outside of the box and you're talking about doing things, cutting against the grain, as you said. So, you know, give us more about that and kind of uh, how that's changed your personal uh, daily fishing, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I know I, I sent you guys a, a little bit of an idea that just along the lines of the contradiction, but it's basically that the sport of musky fishing is at somewhat of a crossroads. And I think the cool thing about the sport is you can make it as simple or as complicated as you want. So on the simple side, you got the guy that fishes five, six times a year, you know, more than likely in the summer. And it's like that guy's got a junior cowgirl, you know, a, a, a cowgirl, hooker top raider, you know, phantom glide bait in the Suix. And he's got his mechanics down to a tease. He knows the bait triggers. He knows what, what to do a little bit different while he's out there. But he's got the, the most classic baits that have worked year in and year out for as long as they've been around. That guy's going to do just great for his five, six days on the water. But you got guys like myself and you and, and Jeff when he's able to, you know, get out of the electrician excuse and uh, <laughs> get, on, get on the water and, and uh, spend more time. Um, playing with the complicated uh, part of the sport. And I think that's where, like, the, the newest bait, having the newest bait, yeah, you might, you might want to get your hands on some of these new baits, like your, you know, 7-9 trigger, the detonator. Give, give them something a little different. And it's, it's just funny because I have a huge, huge I place a huge importance on making sure that something is different while you're fishing whether something is different from that, like playing Jane, what you're supposed to be doing style of fishing. And yet under the contradiction, I can also convince myself that if I was to pick up a double cowgirl in whatever color it is, I'm confident in and fish it while the conditions say fish a bucktail, I would catch probably about the same amount of fish yet. I'm the type of person that sits in the basement for the last four or five years, all winter, playing with all the blade combos under the sun just to figure out what's in. So I think that, that the sport has just got so many routes to take that the making sure that you understand how many days you spend on the water, how much time do you really have to put into this sport and, and what you're looking to get out of it. Because, if, if, if you can actually understand that, which is a little theory I like to call understanding your personal musky lens, it's, it's pretty unique how you can find what box you've been put in, to say it plainly, and how to get out of it. I mean, fishing these fish has, there's just, like I said, when you, when you take the time to go from Illinois to Wisconsin to Minnesota, there's just so many similar factors that you see every state you get to. You got your, you know, your shad-based shallow water trolling, uh, shallow water short line trolling in Illinois. You get to Wisconsin, you got your your small glide baits and, you know, smaller baits because they don't eat big baits and Wisconsin fish, you know, are a pain. And then you get to Minnesota and you got guys that have to build freaking 10-foot rods and you got Guys, be getting crazy custom rods built just to throw these 
two, three pound baits to catch these fish and they're, they're all the same. But I, I just think that you take a company like Team Rhino, it's got zillions of colors of these awesome baits that when that came, when that ex- ex- bait explosion happened and you had the newest color that both fish have never seen and still to this day are able to do that with uh, just continued expansion of all of his bait colors, that will get you a few extra bites. But if you're only going to be on the water five days a year, why don't you get yourself a confidence color in whatever bait you're looking to buy, make sure you, you know how to work it, what's the extra little uh, idiosyncrasies within your, your retrieves that you can do every cast to make sure, hey, I, I actually just made a post about this yesterday which it's such a simple concept and so many people have said it over the years, but fishing a jerkbait or or a glider, how many times do you get caught in being just a crazy monotonous, similar retrieve style? And I mean, I know when I first started out fishing a glider, it was one pause, one, two pause, one, two, three pause. And I'd say it out loud. We'd all be saying it out loud on the boat. And that was just making sure your bait isn't coming in where it's glide, pause, glide, pause. And Booker talks about it all the time. You fish for fouls or you're fishing for strikes, basically. And you, you got you to gotta implement those little trigger factors in every single one of your bait categories throughout the season. And understanding those is of much higher importance to putting more fish in the boat for your next season than it is making sure you've got the basement builders new dive and rise or um you know the, the heavyweight glider from i don't know japan you know it's 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 quite impressive the number of baits that are available for us these days but figure out how much time you you're really able to put into the sport, and uh, I think when you figure that out and, and see where you actually lie in skill and performance on the water, you'll you'll be able to see. Hey, you know what? This year maybe I want to try throwing more rubber baits, or you know maybe I think I don't need to buy that new bait, and maybe I just need to get better at the figure eight bucktail to have. And uh, from there, it's it's just all up. It's, there's there's only positive things to come from understanding where you're at in the in your um, I guess experience and uh, where you can go from. Of course, wanting to make uh, your time on the water in the future just anything better. Absolutely, Austin. I mean, it, it ties all back together with. Um some of the other topics that we talked about and how you approach a spot and, and what you're going to do with those things. You know, if you have a bait that you have a ton of confidence in, I mean, you can go get an additional color of that. You know, it's like when somebody comes in our booth, the first thing that I tell them is they say, what do I need to actually buy? And I'll tell them, you know, get one or two natural colors, get two really hot colors where it's, kind of out of this world, you know, a chartreuse or a pink or something like that. And something that, uh, once you start getting into that realm, 
you definitely are going to start stretching a little bit, bit by bit, on how you're going to approach and how you're going to fish. And I think if you have a confidence bait, guess what? You can start with another color. Start playing that confidence bait with the same bait, but it might be a different color. And then from that different color, now you're going to go to a different size. And then eventually break out of some of your your habits that you don't know you're in, I think, would be a quality way. Right, right. That, that's the just to it, right? I mean, you get stuck in your little rut, and guess what? You can break out of that by slowly trying different stuff. And, and maybe it's you throw it for an hour a day. And then you go back to your confidence baits for the next six hours. But you have to find a way to break out of that whole habit-forming uh, bits and pieces that, that I think all muskie anglers challenge themselves with. And then it's a matter of when do I break out of that? So, you know, I think Jeff has asked this question many times in the podcast. You know, he's asked it of many guests. When do you decide to throw that whole game plan away and start working on something new? And I don't think we're not unlike any other muskie angler. We all are challenged with that. You know, if you have multiple anglers in the boat, it's great because all of a sudden I can say, hey, you do this because this worked yesterday. I'm going to start playing with some different stuff. And once I have success, share that success with the others in the boat. So there's methods and, and ways to go about that. It's just a matter of how you break those rules, I guess, in your own head. Oh, no doubt. And uh, I think you, you touched on it perfectly. It, it, it's really tough to realize you're in one of those like crazy habitual um, habit forming, just like monotonous fishing, you know, styles. It, it, it's really, it is tough. And it's also really tough when you're on a, a body of water that you had success the day prior and what you're, you did yesterday isn't working to go ahead and change because just yesterday you're you know having all these uh positive experiences catching fish losing fish having action but today it's not happening and and i know that you've you've talked about it a handful of times and i know that it last year i made a huge importance on making sure i don't stick to the the wrong thing for too long like have more confidence in changing faster than you are at sticking something out, waiting for, for something to occur. Because I think this is a game where it's, it's related to hunting, you know, big game hunting, which I've never personally done, but can certainly see the, uh, the passion and, and, and similarities in it. But you're not, you're not waiting for these fish to get active. You're hunting them. And, I mean, there's, there's so many examples of just the shallow sand bite that we were on the week trip we took in the September, uh, in to Minnesota. I mean, there was, there was just one night that was insanely cold. And I'm sure you remember that, Brad, it got down to, you know, 32 degrees and that big giant push of fish to the two, three foot sand inside weed edges. All of a sudden, I mean, it's 58 degrees in there. It's not 63, you know, it's 58 degrees and 64 degrees was, you know, a few hundred yards further out in that six, seven, eight foot range. And we, we spent like an extra 30 minutes after dark fishing that super shell sand. And we said, we got to get out of here guys. And the minute we got out to that, 
seven, eight foot zone, uh, grass got a little warm. All of a sudden, got back up to temps that I was pretty confident fish should be active in. Took only a handful of casts to drift on a weed edge and put two fish in the boat. And I mean, had we done that prior, could have been three fish, could have been four fish. And making sure you're able to, to get out of those those roots you get stuck in and, and doing it faster, having confidence to do it, it it's huge. It, 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 it can mean the, the difference between catching a fish or not. And unfortunately, we, we put too much importance on our, fa- or, uh, our failures by not doing them again and, and too much, too high of an importance on our successes to conti- continue to do them again, where every day things change so fast that you got to have constant confidence to change change with it i would totally agree with that the one thing i think that some guys have a difficult time is it's time on the water you know a lot of guys like it takes time for you to develop the the confidence and the level of success or feeling that you're going to have success changing and i think that's why musky anglers maybe have less successes because we don't have as many i don't know chances at have it at you know being correct in your in your change you know you make a change you're throwing a bigger bait in the early spring and you throw it for three hours you might not have contacted a muskie i mean we've all gone three hours without catching a muskie oh undoubtedly yeah and so they they give up on that oh that didn't work and then so they go back to what the book says or what they're comfortable with and so it's it's really and and they don't want to burn a day. Maybe Saturday is the only day they get to fish, and they don't want to burn a day going and playing with something different. And so I think that's sometimes what maybe holds us back as musky anglers from having more success is the fact that we don't have a lot of time on the water. So we're gonna go with what what worked before and what we feel the most comfortable with versus working outside our comfort zone. I've got two really cool points to that, Jeff, and uh, one being this podcast itself. I mean. Brad mentioned it in the first few episodes that you guys ever did, and it was the, the concept of map cards. I mean, it took the guys years, years and years and years to figure out these spots that, you know, everybody now has access to in a second. And I think that what I mentioned right away in the beginning, that this podcast is, is a much bigger beast than I think we all realize. It's, it's the sheer accessibility to I mean, look at the people that you guys have had on here and, and the information that has been shared. You take a guy that's never made a cast for muskies before, have him listen to the first episode while he's driving in the car to work or on the way home or to get groceries, and he'll finish the entire podcast by the time that the season starts in Minnesota. That guy will be tenfold years in, years in advance. I mean, the, the access to quality information and the insane learning curve in becoming a quality musky fisherman that you guys have provided just simply through this podcast is insane. And that alone, I think, should give people the confidence of, look at all these different stories that these really quality musky fishermen talk about their, their phasers and their, their struggles and, and the things that they have to change. And the only thing that's constant in that whole that whole description is they had to change to catch fish. They had to go find them, and I think that that is the cool part. But it is tough when you don't you don't have the time. You definitely hit it on the head. I mean, the resources are <laughs> they're abundant in today's world, right? 
don't get me wrong. There was, there was things at my fingertips when I first started in this sport as well. But today I, I think one of the unique parts to, to what's taking place today with social media, it, it blows my mind how well the younger generation networks amongst one another. You know, I always had a great network around me, um, different people that I guided with, whether it been Greg Thomas or Luke Ronstrand, um, Jason Hammernick. I mean, we really networked well together. And I know that there's still some of those little networks happening out there all across all the different states. But I, I think the uniqueness to what the social media platform provided was even more connection where guys become friends. They might not have ever met each other, but they talk all the time, social media messaging or what have you. And um, it definitely can play a factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think realistically, that's how I've, I've learned so many of my things that have helped me in the sport is, I mean, during college and, and before I really even started getting on a boat to muskie fish ever. And I was fully in, invested in wanting to really learn how to do this. I went through every article online and every video and really broke things down and tried to understand how to, how to do it better. The, sheer amount of resources that are available today for people that are looking to get into the sport, you got, you got to take advantage of it. And, and I sure do not want to portray, like I, I never struggled because I sure do, but just like you, when you struggle or anybody else on the water, I'm, I'm not going to just accept it and wait for the fish to change their minds. I, I, I've had such a positive and reinforcing experiences with you go and you find them, you do what you need to do to have put a fish in the boat for that day, whether it be that 33 incher that was the best 33 incher you've ever caught because of how grind, how much of a grind the day was, or, you know, it, that 33 ends up being a, a 53 in Minnesota. And, and then it feels, you know, just that much better at the end of the day that, ended up changing something so it, it is crazy how how quickly you're able to become a, a good fisherman these days using the resources available and uh, uh if, if somebody was to do that to listen from episode one to episode whatever it is by the time their season opens or the ice goes out it, it would be astounding to to hear back the results on how well they did for the first season of Moxie Fishing. Actually, I think Jeff could probably expound on that a little bit. Um, we had a listener, and how he ended up listening, I have no idea, Jeff. Maybe you can share some more insight. But he starts listening to us and literally goes and buys electronics, a boat, and basically all the musky gear. You, you know what I'm talking about, Jeff? Yeah, I remember that story. It was from... Uh, last year, probably uh, show season. Yeah. I was going to say last year, right around show season or whatever it was. And we were, you know, had that listener call in and he said, Hey, I literally listen to the podcast and I love it. And I, I mean, I bought hummingbirds and the side imaging and the boat and all the stuff. I mean, I, I'm glad that Austin brings it up because like you said, if you're just joining us on the podcast, there, there's a, yeah, this is episode number ninety-eight or ninety-nine. I don't remember which one this was. Ninety-nine, I think. Ninety-nine. Yep. Lucky ninety-nine. Yep. So this is number ninety-nine, 
And yeah, you know, you have 98 other episodes to go back to. I wouldn't go too far back. If you listen to our first episode, unlike what Austin said, that's probably terrible. So don't listen to that episode, but go from episode two on, you're going to probably hopefully pick up something to help your learning curve throughout the course of a musky season. And I know people that will even go back to these during the season and re-listen to a, a certain guest, you know, maybe it's a, and and maybe it's fall and they want to know a little bit about, you know, what they should be doing in October. Well, typically we try to stay within the range. So then they'll go find an October episode from, you know, whatever, 2019, October, 2020. And they'll use those as references and they can literally listen to them when they're on the boat, they can listen to them on their way to the boat. So, I mean, the, the access to this information is available all the time. That, that is what I'm saying. I'm saying this, this is a much larger beast because of the sheer accessibility to the information and the quality of the information. I mean, I know, I know way too many times that I'm sure Brad's experienced this. I've experienced this. I know I've, I've read or heard, uh, Greg Thomas mentioned, Greg Thomas, uh, mentioned this. You guys have just fished for way too many years, been through way too many patterns. You forget about things and having that ability to, Hey, I'm going to go back and listen to that podcast, uh, to, two falls ago and do it Seifert mentioned on the, uh, you know, the pre turnover, uh, bite. And that just alone can give you the inspiration and the confidence to go try something different or along the lines of all of the other things that we've mentioned today. I mean, you feel like you talk yourself in circles sometimes, especially when you get down the road to doing things different, because like we said, right away, there's always some, there's always somebody catching fish doing the same thing or doing something that's completely different on the same lake as you on the same day. So it's, it's just a, such a deep concept that having, having the reminders, being able to pull your phone up, listen to that podcast that might revive things that you may have forgot about while, while fishing, while in the water. It's, it's a, you can't put a, uh, an importance level on it. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty quality. And we, you know, we certainly thank you for, for saying that too. I'm glad that, I'm glad that a listener also thinks that we put out, you know, some, something that's worthwhile. I know that occasionally I will go back and reference something because I try to, you know, this, this podcast is a learning experience for me too. I get to talk to a lot of different people, a lot of cool people. Some, some people even, you know, looked up to and idolized in the musky industry. And now I get to talk to them and learn from, you know, one-on-one almost, and the, I guess the, the thing is to try to just take something away from every episode that would help you maybe just do something different. I can't remember what, what guest it was or what episode it was, but somebody recently said something about they try to fish one new spot every time they're on the water. And I, I think that's a, a good way to approach it. So maybe even take one hour, you know, out of your day to try something different. Maybe it's this spring, go throw a pounder for a little while, go throw a supermodel for a little while go challenge yourself and push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Don't do it for a day if you can't afford to do it for a day, but you can afford to do it for an hour or two just to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the spot. I know, I know uh, I've listened to a Luke Ronestrad uh, seminar that says he fishes about 25, 30 spots a day, but he makes sure that every single day he's fishing a new spot. And along the lines of having confidence and doing something different, don't hit that spot when you're not seeing a single thing or don't try that, that new, you know, bait style or, or way to fish a spot when, when it, things are dead, that's, that seems a little, you know, 
like you're not setting yourself up for success, but hey, come an afternoon major peak, instead of going over to your favorite spot you always hit, why don't you give the you know, the spot just down the down the shoreline, down the edge, this little underwater secondary type spot that you know, you may have never really even fished or never really knew it was there until you got updated electronics or so on and so forth, but go give that a shot for the peak. See what happens. And that's how you, you build on on your uh, on the unknown of you know not having confidence in things. You, you do it when it's a, it can work. You don't do it when everything isn't working. So Austin, you know, prior to we kind of had a little bit of a we kind of talked a little bit about some doubles that you had. Now, obviously, casting doubles are very rare in the musky world, and I think you've done it twice, if I'm not mistaken. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is this is too crazy, honestly, because this was this was the first year that I, I, I truly started uh, musky fishing, and it was in it was in 2015 in my my at the time boat, which was a, a hand me down from my uncle, 14 foot big fisherman smoker craft that we took a 40 horsepower hand troller motor, put a couple of uh, bench clamps on the front, and boy, we we dragged that thing around and caught a ton of fish in, but. We, we got that thing up in this uh, little inflow of a creek is to give everybody listening the understanding of th- this bite was uh, was pretty incredible. It was during the midsummer warmer water temps, but temps had cooled down and this, this cold water inflow had shoved just a load of shad and a load of muskies into a small area. And uh, this was the first doubleheader was at July 28th to be exact. And, uh, it was me and my buddy, Dom Winnicky. We, uh, we made it about, I don't know, 50 yards into this Creek on GoPro big boat had just passed by. And, uh, he jokingly said, uh, little prop wash baby. And as his bait comes in, he's got a fish flying around in the eight ends up hooking it. And as I'm reeling in my bait as fast as I can, I hook a fish. And boy, in uh, that little boat with uh, not not much for stability and uh, not a quality net by any means, it was a crazy, crazy experience that even if I had happened today, I wouldn't be nowhere near prepared for it happening. But uh, it, it was crazy. That was the first one. And then actually two days later, uh, we had the same thing happen, but a little bit more settled down because we had uh, our third buddy Corbin in the boat who was uh, nice enough to stand there and, and stare at the first fish, the 35 incher about the Dom had hooked next to the boat and uh, debating on if we're going to put it in the net or just reach down to unhook it and I end up hooking up with another fish up front while, we're, while they were sitting in the back debating and uh, that was like an upper 30, 39 half inch fish but it's anyway, quite crazy that something like that happened let alone both on film first year ever fishing muskies and the cool part of course on brad's baits all on junior cowgirls pretty uh it's a pretty cool story especially just being being on here talking with you two guys who are honestly uh you know two of the, the top-notch guys in the industry for quality and uh customer service for you guys' businesses and just a cool story that I'm able to share, but awesome experience. And boy, those are videos that I will never, uh, never get tired of watching. Sure. 
But I think the interesting part is it was two days in a row, Austin? They were two days apart, actually, but we put 13 in the boat in uh, three days in that little uh, time span. And I think we only got, that was a 45-minute time span that uh, we fished it for that first day, and we put five in the boat. And, and it was a, it was a crazy. Uh, it, it was all around sunset, but just a, an absolute nuts little bite. And to have it happen uh, two days apart was, was crazy. That's awesome. That's super cool. I know a season ago, so 2019, I had, uh, and I've had this happen before, but it was really cool, but I, not a double header, but we were night fishing. It was my buddy, Big Dave, and then Jeff Schulte from Bomb Squad Baits. We were on the water, we're filming, and we just, it was a brutal day. It was, I don't know, we just could not hardly do anything. We were moving a couple here and there. And the night kind of, you know, as the evening came in, it kind of set up similar to a shoot that I had done a long time ago. And I'm like, guys, we got to stick it out after dark. And they're like, seriously? I mean, this this has been tough, you know? It was hot and, and kind of still and just, I don't know, it was a brutal day of fishing. And I'm like, I'm not kidding you. We need to do this. So literally, we uh, we stuck it out. And right at like last light, I'm talking, it, it was already dark really, but, uh, you could just see the sun kind of going down and I can't remember which way it was, but I was throwing a double cowgirl and I threw, I'm trying to remember if it was a 49 first, uh, I can't, I can't remember anymore, but anyway, back to back cast hundred inches of muskies. It's on our YouTube channel. It turned out really cool. Um, oh but no, I've seen that for, for damn sure. That's, that's an awesome, that is crazy. Honestly, the, the sheer chances of that is, is, is insane. Let alone, you know, that big a fish, but it, it's amazing when they're on, they're on man. That, and that's the deal, right? So capitalize when those moments happen. And, uh, that's what it's truly about. That's for sure. Oh, on, uh, no doubt. And, and it's, crazy and i'm really glad that you did bring up the nighttime thing because that's one thing that i did lack to mention in the in the previous conversation to to a degree is everybody associates night fishing with with summer you know and whether that be because it really grew from minnesota and you guys season doesn't even open until june or whatever the reason may be but my personal last fish of the season for the last year three years has all been at night, the last fish of the season. But this season, a handful of the biggest fish we caught before the fish or water temps even got to 50 degrees in both Illinois and Wisconsin were, were at night. And they're not in, you know, crazy moon windows or anything like that. They're just, we're out there fishing for them. And this, this season, for sure, the some of the numbers put together on night statistics for the my boat and a couple other buddies' boats was like over 50% for fish caught from the time the sun is technically down for the day, whatever that time may be compared to when the sun technically comes up. Like over 50% of the fish out of the total between myself and two other buddies' boats were caught during the technical nighttime period, which is insane to me. Yeah, it's amazing. I think night fishing has kind of, uh, it's slowed for some reason. I mean, honestly, when we were doing the Mille Lacs days, we lived like vampires. It was out of control. Um, pretty much, 
you know, in bed most of the day, back out on the water and we'd fish all night. And don't get me wrong, I had a blast doing it. It was a lot of fun. And I think it just simply gets forgotten at times. But, well, I'll tell you what, man, we, uh, I think we got some really good information from you, Austin. And I think we're, we're probably a little over the hour mark at this point, aren't we, Jeff? Yes. Yes, we are. But that's pretty typical of these podcasts, isn't it, Brad? I mean, we always end up, it's rare that we actually hit an hour. Yeah, well, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that's what we try to keep it to. But honestly, it seems like, uh, you know, we get guys on like this and it just keeps rolling, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah. you can, I, I could do this all day and, and like, you can make a podcast forever for damn sure. But it's, it's been awesome that, uh, and, and really a giant honor that you guys had me on. It's a great conversation. Glad I'm able to share some of my experience and, and hopefully uh, convince somebody to try something different this year. And I'm just really, really glad this came to fruition and we were able to get it done. Absolutely. We, we both want to thank you for, for that. And uh, it's always fun to talk to somebody that's been out there doing their thing. And obviously you know how to get it done, Austin. Well, I uh, sincerely appreciate that coming from yourself as well. So um, glad we could do it. And uh, Jeff, thank you again as well. And, you know, you guys provide so much quality information for so many people through this little pro- uh, podcast project that I I don't know that I can uh, display the amount of thanks and, and information that I've even grasped from it. So it's been, uh, it's been an awesome road. So Austin, you know, we just want to thank you for coming out and, and talking with us today. And not only want to thank you, but we want to thank our listeners for, you know, making it through 99 episodes. But if anybody's looking to get in touch with you, you know, social media wise or telephone number to book a trip when you, when you get things up and rolling with your guide service, what's the best way to go about doing that? Um, any, anything on social media, you know, I've, I've got a little page on the side called Fish with Teeth Outdoors. Um, randomly get, get content out there. There's going to be a ton more coming here shortly, but you can get get a hold of me on there, Facebook or Instagram, and then all my personal stuff just Austin Witterman, um, Facebook, Instagram, and if you want to contact me directly, uh, phone number is eight one five five seven five three four six eight. And uh, yeah, definitely looking to have a, a plethora of new people um, fish with me this year, and hopefully convince a few people to make their journey down to Illinois and maybe get on some fish before they even start thinking about them normally absolutely so once again austin we want to thank you for coming out we want to thank all of our listeners for listening to another episode and we'll catch everybody next week for episode 100